0: I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field.
1: Leinster
2: could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Rugby <laughs> rugby weekly.
1: Then in the first pass, oh! Oh! Drive Magic.
2: Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey here, back in studio, I was going to say, in Cork, and I'm delighted to be joined by the two stalwarts, Murray Kinsella of the 42. Murray, how are things? Good, Gav. Good to have you back. How was your break? Really interesting. Really interesting. No, (laughs) it was was thoroughly enjoyable. I have to say on the Thursday, I guess it was the morning or afternoon, one of my friends came up to me with a kind of a concerned voice. And he was like, "Um, Gav, I got a message from my dad there. And I was like, oh, yeah, Jesus, is everything all right? And he was like, yeah, he he just said... um, I'm listening to the 42 podcast and Murray said Gav's on the pace. and carry he's with you laughing emoji (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to I was trying to think who is he implying is the bad influence here but I I have to uh, stress to Mr Quirk that young Edmund did not lead me astray nor did I lead him I don't think Um, no (laughs) it was terrific and uh, I did tune into the podcast in the end through gritted teeth uh, but no you were kind enough to me and it was very enjoyable we missed you we missed you Gav how have things been on your end? Yeah, all good.
0: Tipping away, it's picking up again, isn't it? Like so much class, rugby ahead, so much excitement building. Again, there was a bit of a lull with the Rainbow Cup, obviously, but some brilliant stuff ahead.
2: Bernard Jackman joins us. Also, Bert, how's your week been going?
1: Yeah, it's good. I'm looking forward to this chat. You sent through a great itinerary last night, so uh, yeah, it's mad in in June. There's still such um, such good content to talk about and and new stories. So yeah, let's let's look
0: forward to this podcast fair play gav you did you did put a bit of shape on things you're like our you must director have, of rope you you had kind of... At
1: himself yeah a hard look at himself on holidays <laughs> looked in the mirror said i, I gotta come back i gotta <laughs> come back more professional <laughs> more organized uh great start
2: <laughs> yeah. let's see how long it lasts uh we'll look ahead to uh the lions towards the end of the show we're going to chat about the top 14 and premiership finals i'm actually kind of reading notes here because there is a lot to get through um we're going to chat about the sevens at the top, Sean O'Brien's retirement at Connacht, the introduction of the fifty twenty-two rule at test level. And I think we're going to build the show today around uh, Irish coaches abroad and I guess some of the culture shock and the cultural differences that you might have experienced, Bernard. And um, we'll chat, obviously, um, about that in relation to Noel McNamara heading to the Sharks and what a loss that is to Leinster and... I think that's it. We'll just tear into it, will we? And I know Murray, yourself and Owen were chatting about the Sevens on Monday. So I'll give the first word to Bert here. Um, how good was that? Yeah, they were excellent. And um,
1: they're a very good Sevens team now. And a, a friend of mine um, was over there coaching with Hong Kong and he's, he's ex-Kenya. So he's been on the circuit for six or seven years. And, um, you know, obviously Fran- a lot of people are talking up France, but he said to me on the Saturday, he said, you know, Ireland, just look. You know, nearly complete. And um, I spoke to him afterwards, and he, he thinks they've a they've a medal chance. You know, they're um, they're very well organized. They work incredibly hard. They maybe don't have the flair that some teams have, but um, the nuts and bolts. They kind of play a very structured sevens games, uh, and then they have you know some unbelievable pace. So yeah, credit to them. They've they've come uh, a long way. And we saw glimpses of. them in, when they played in London, um, you know, they were they were very good. But I just think. They camped this tournament um, and managed to perform. Look, there was a lot of easy games, but um, the French game was was nearly a uh, nearly complete performance. So they go to the Olympics on, on merit, and it's a great achievement for for those lads who spend who spend so much time out of the limelight. You know, um, it's a very difficult sport. It's a uh, it's a very hard sport on, on, on in terms of training. Um, you know, they talk about four hundred meter runners. You know, having to go to dark places regularly. I think sevens athletes um are very similar and uh yeah it's great for them to to get the the reward for what's been an incredibly long journey and, and lots of disappointments as well on the way and setbacks but they most of those lads have uh, nearly all of them uh, um have been through that and now they get hopefully you know their their the reward with a with Olympics and and you know going there with not just cannon fodder. I mean no one would want to play them. They're yeah, they're they're actually very very, very good sevens team.
2: What struck me, Murray, was I guess the jubilance afterwards, but also going back to something we were talking about a few weeks ago, like the like naked authenticity of these people in their interviews and how refreshing it was to hear just like the raw emotion of it, but also Billy Dardis pointing back towards like, um, not only the people who got him there, but the fact that it's been a journey for a lot of those guys, like uh, many of them have been kind of cast aside by clubs over the years or released. And uh, at the end of the day, when the dust has settled, when they're down the pub in in 20 years time or whenever they'll be able to point back to 2021 and be like, I played in the Olympics that year, you know, and and that's just a a crazy culmination of a crazy journey for a lot of these people. But you got an email from uh, our famed member, Kalon, And while we can't get to all of the things in the email this time around, because it's a pretty busy show, I thought he made a really interesting point about that sevens team as he put it, like potentially fixing rugby's, image problem in this country which is which is strongly worded but again something we've referred to in the past where there are a lot of people from outside of the rugby bubble who detest the sport and what i noticed with the sevens team qualifying for tokyo was a lot of olympic aficionado friends of mine who either work in the media or are peripheral to the media they were overjoyed by watching this uh, team qualify and they are the people who we're talking about who would describe Ireland beating the All Blacks as a friendly or say they're the, the third best team in, in an eight team global game, you know, or sorry, uh, third best team in Europe in an eight team global game. And I think it might just help actually, as, as Caelan was asking, to uh, draw eyes towards a version of the sport, but also towards people who seem like really likable characters who are going to be on this most prominent stage over the summer.
0: Absolutely, I've had exactly the same experience with people who aren't even that into 15s rugby. Kind of flagging that this has happened, sending me on the highlights, and saying this team is is pretty cool. They play some great stuff, and you're right; they're so likable as a as a bunch. People who've had like real setbacks in the, in their rugby careers in terms of not getting provincial senior contracts, not even getting into academies. Some of them, um, and taking a different avenue and making sacrifices for it. like these guys. On a maximum eighteen grand a season salary, so they're not like top professional players where they're earning mega bucks to to play. There, a lot of them are, are working or studying alongside doing this, and they're genuine Olympic athletes in in that sense. They've been just chasing that goal, uh, and now they've got it. You've got people like Jordan Conroy as well, who I think Kalon mentioned in his in his email, who's just a refreshingly interesting guy. And he was late to rugby; he was in his late teens when he took it up in Tullamore and what an incredibly exciting player to watch uh, and a guy who who backs himself who has a bit of confidence and and knows he's shit hot at the moment and, and is enjoying that and and that's what is enjoyable to engage with as well like hearing him talk about rinsing defenders is is fun it's enjoyable um, and the i suppose bond that that group has because of their shared experiences both in terms of setbacks individually but also as as Bernie mentioned collectively like they missed out on the on the 2016 Olympics, they missed out on the World Series agonisingly at the first time asking in in the Hong Kong qualifier. And they're just like, it's a cliche in rugby about brothers and being like a family. But these lads literally live uh, on each other's hips. They're together all the time. They really care about each other. I suppose you get that with a smaller squad as well. And it is going to be a a really interesting story over the summer. Like the qualifying has been such a big thing. But imagine they got on a bit of a run over there over the course of the the two or three days it'll be really picked up on by people who aren't even as i said into 15s rugby so it's a a real big opportunity for for the for the sport as a whole and i'm just so excited to see how they get on now
2: Bert, when i was watching conroy's uh interview afterwards i immediately thought the o'donovan brothers you know he has that kind of appeal to him like that sort of salt of the earth type uh character but also quick-witted and I mean even the interviewer it seemed was struggling to hold it together and ask the questions because he's just not your regular interviewee and like again when you've got a whole country watching um this is a massive opportunity for these guys as well to become household names if you like in a sport that wouldn't necessarily be a household sport
1: yeah absolutely and it's it's effectively down to their commitment and obviously there if you put good structures in place but uh, you know as Murray said it's not easy to stay on that voyage and, uh, and stay on that journey with no guarantee um, you know no guaranteed pot of gold at the end of the rainbow I mean it was you know the whole qualification system for, for the Olympics they had one setback and then they were basically having to commit probably another year of their life you know on, on low wages um, giving up you know alternative opportunities to to stay in it and um, you know and, and they managed to perform and I, I just think I think there's lots of good characters in Irish rugby. Unfortunately, with the with the provinces, we don't really get to see it so as much. Uh, I think the sevens, by their nature, um, uh, they they tend to be more um, I don't know freestyle in terms of their career options. They you know they they're on a you know they they're committing to this journey. There's a lot of travel. They're they're good lads and, and they're coming from like a lot of different backgrounds and and maybe some of the. the the rejection they've had earlier in their career, because some of them have started as 15s players, very good 15s underage players, and then you know those setbacks have have made, maybe helped them kind of realise and be comfortable with who they are. If that sounds that sounds a bit over the top, but they're just very comfortable in their own skin. Um, they're not afraid to show their personality, and uh, yeah, look at Irish people. Warm to, to to charismatic people, and, and particularly when when they're doing great things on a on a sporting field. So uh, yeah, it's going to be brilliant. I, I'm looking forward to look. Look, at, I, I am a fan of sevens, even though I'm not a fan of the idea that it's a guaranteed pathway. Um, but I think in its own right, it's a phenomenal sport. And um, you know, I'm really looking forward. I really enjoyed last weekend, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing these guys. Um, you know, go to Olympics and. And they genuinely, you know, they genuinely have a have a chance of doing something because um, they're they've got depth, they've got a huge amount of experience, and you know they have three or four players I think who could who who are now recognised worldwide as being you know top end sevens players, which
2: is which is incredible. What a summer ahead!
0: Yeah, we said last week that it w- like the sevens hadn't re like there'd been an investment from the RFU, but it hadn't really grasped the consciousness. But like. <laughs> look what we just saw happen last week. It, it was the watershed moment and everyone's awake to this now. And I mean, it was interesting. I spoke to Ian Fitzpatrick, one of the originals during the week uh, for for a piece this weekend on the 42. But one of the things he said was, was fascinating to me. He said, from his point of view, the guys who come into the programme and gone on to fifteen success, they always talk about like, my passing's better, my tackling's better because of sevens. His perspective was that they actually got a bit of a chance to kind of back themselves, be a bit of a an individual at times gain more confidence from beating people one-on-one or defending one-on-one and that it was actually that mental side of things that he saw improving those guys and and I mean you look at the likes of Shane Daly and Hugo Keane and Jimmy O'Brien they absolutely got that out of the programme as well so I think it's brilliant that those original guys are, are getting the, the reward now but lots of
2: people have benefited along the way In other news and kind of more somber news we heard obviously during the week that Sean O'Brien of Connacht is retiring at the age of 26 due to uh, concussion and it's difficult to know what to say Murray about something like this apart from just wishing Sean well and sort of lamenting the reality of the situation Captain Ireland at the 2014 Junior World Championship made 60 appearances for Connacht and describes himself in his statement as one of the lucky ones which I guess is a one way of looking at it he got to play at the top level but to see a guy's career cut short it's just another reminder really of how um, precarious a career it can be I guess
0: yeah hate to see this kind of stuff especially around concussion especially someone who's 26 and for a guy who I, I never felt like he got that full run at, at fulfilling his potential due to the injuries not just the concussion issue. he's had other He's, I mean he's been played by it and had obviously massive potential as an Ireland under 20s captain and he was a guy who was unbelievably and is unbelievably respected in the Connacht group as a really hard edged player something that Connacht probably have missed at times hit with his absence and and they're kind of hoping to get him back to to bring that edge like being respected by teammates in, in that manner is is a big thing and it's just a pity we'll never get to see the the full extent of it obviously it's 100% the right decision if that's the medical advice and you back a guy like that to be a success in, in whatever he chooses to do next in terms of hopefully staying around the game a little bit and and contributing something there but but also outside of rugby um, yeah it's 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 horrible seeing this kind of stuff and we wish him all the, the best with recovering from that uh, and getting on with his life he's achieved an unbelievable amount in the game even with that lack
2: of luck around injuries um so congrats to him on his career Birch, as somebody a former professional player who had first-hand experience with head injuries what's your kind of instinctive reaction when you hear news like this uh, apart from the obvious disappointment like does it almost Give you a sense of uh, fortuitousness I guess, that you got to enjoy the full extent of your career in a sport where it could so possibly have turned out otherwise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Look at I've seen uh, uh, Sean O'Brien nearly stop my coaching career before before it started. So uh, when I was coaching St. Michaels in 2011, um, we had a we had a star-studded team. Uh, we had Dan Levy, uh, Ross Maloney, Dennis Coulson. Uh, um, Nick McCarty, Ross Byrne, Rory O'Loughlin, Keane Keller, Um And we went to play Ross Gray in the first round of the cup. Didn't know anything about them um, in minute. And uh, Ross Byrne kicked the penalty in the seventh minute of injury time to get a draw. And, and Sean O'Brien Sean O'Brien was pretty much the outstanding player on the field. And uh, we beat him in a replay narrowly, like we were poxed. And we, had to, we went on to win the cup. Um, so I, I've been following him since then. And uh, he... Yeah, he's just an outstanding player. He, he's not a flash player or he wasn't a flash player or, you know, um, you know wasn't going to get a lot of man-to-matches, but he's the kind of fellow he'd want to go to war with. And I think that's why he's so respected um, by everyone who's played with and against him. And uh, But, you yeah, know, absolutely, I was very fortunate to, to get a, a, a long career. Um, but in some ways, I, I'm actually heartened to see guys being able to to retire early um, if they are suffering, to be honest, and uh, not trying to carry on and and take risks. I think that's been the big improvement. I mean, the awareness... Like, I've no doubt there's fellas I played with who, at 26, um, were suffering from, you know, concussion, uh, were susceptible to cushion. The right thing to do was to retire, but it wasn't on our radar whatsoever. So, uh, uh, in some ways, obviously, I feel really sorry for Sean, um, but... I think from you know his long term health this is this is obviously the right thing to do and any any fear with a concussion injury um you know and if you, if the medical advice is to retire then you, you don't ask any questions you just do it so in some ways I'm heartened that the game has moved on and players have that medical advice uh, looking after them really for the long term
2: well Ross Burns ears would have perked during the week Murray if he had heard news caught wind of the Sydney Morning Herald on Whatever it was, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I think they were the first to report that the fifty twenty two law uh, will be introduced at test level across the board uh, in the near future. And listen, a lot of listeners to this podcast will have seen this law in action in Super Rugby in the Southern Hemisphere, and uh, they know all they sorry they know what it's all about. But equally, I'd say we have a lot of listeners who kind of tune in for the provincial stuff, the Irish stuff, and maybe wouldn't have their eye on that. So. Could you kind of give us an exa- or, um, a sense of the impact it could potentially have on the test game?
0: Yeah, so the law is essentially if you kick from within your own half and the ball bounces in the field of play and then rolls into touch inside the opposition 22, you will get the throw into the line-out, which is obviously a, a drastic and unbelievably advantageous change to the game if, you're, if you've if you got that tactical kicking quality. The reason this is happening is because the, the powers that be hope it'll mean that teams will have to stack their backfield a little bit more strongly and consistently. Obviously, at the moment, everyone's got a 13 plus 2, even a 14 plus 1 defence at times for the really aggressive defensives. But if you've obviously got that potential for Benson ball and touching and getting an attacking line out, you're, you're going to look to exploit it. And therefore, you've got to have that coverage close to the touchlines, potentially even getting a little bit more coverage with two players back there. Um, and the hope is that I'll slow down the the line speed in the front line, there'll be a bit more space for for attacking rugby. Um, so that's how it works in in practi- in in thought, rather, in theory. In practice in Super Rugby, we didn't really see it being effective, but I think Australian Super Rugby was the worst place in the world to try it because they haven't got a kicking expertise there. They're really catching up in that domain of the game. They've never had a willingness or desire to kick. And only recently, I think we're seeing them open their eyes. And even in the last couple of years, you didn't see teams trying to exploit this trial law as it was there. As I mentioned before, Rob Carney was probably one of the only ones when he went down to Western Force, who was really clearly in his mind thinking, this is an opportunity for a 50-22. So I think once the, the Northern Hemisphere guys, as you mentioned, Ross Byrne, Johnny and basically any out half up in this neck of the woods who's used to a more tactical kicking game, get their hands on this. There's a lot more scope um, and there's going to be a lot more consistent use of it and thoughtful and tactical use of it. Um so I'm actually excited to see what people in this side of the world can, can do with it the Kiwis as well. Obviously they're very good at their their tactical kicking. Um, and it could be it could be a big change to the game. Um, people are worried probably about more rolling moles if, if teams can use the 50-22 to their advantage. But if it reduces the line speed a little bit and creates a bit more frontline space for attacks, well that's a, a positive outcome. So so worth continuing with the trial. I think at a
2: higher level and definitely outside Australia. A rolling mall is nothing to worry about, anyway, Bert. Is it? One of the rare beauties in life. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> more, more rolling malls, please. No, I actually, I agree with Murray. It's going to be fascinating. Um, I actually don't think it'll be the tens that'll exploit it as much. It'll be the nines um, because I think you know most teams back back two players are. Are very good at at reading, uh, so it'd rather be the nine from a midfield rook inside inside the, his own half. Uh, and we saw—I don't know if anyone saw England France in the under twenties. There's uh, the Leicester nine, Jack uh, Van poorvelt gave yeah, did two brilliant kicks. that would have been fifty twenty twos um, from from midfield rooks. I just think that by the time the ball goes to the to the ten or the or the fifteen, you know that uh, the backfield will be will be reading that, so it'll be harder to get that runner out. But from the from the from the nine, it's very difficult to defend, to be honest. Um, but yeah, and obviously then you're going to have the the tens who can kick it back across across the rook. Um, so against the grain as such, which will which will be easier to find grass because it's harder to read as a as a backfield player. Yeah, so I think I think it's a, and and the momentum swing of being stuck in your own half and next thing having a line out ten yards out is is absolutely massive. So yeah, I think it, it, it's a really good feature. I agree, Murray Australia wasn't the place to try it, but look at um, We'll, we'll get a run at it. And uh, I don't think it'll it'll take over the game, but I think every so often we'll see a game swing on a successful um, kick like that.
0: Yeah, I was speaking to Dave Alred, who actually works now in, in Australian rugby, the, the famous kicking coach who worked with Wilkinson and Sexton and, and, and all the kind of top guys. And he just kind of underlined that this means... Everyone in your backline really has to be a, a good kicking threat, um, and that's the way the game kind of has gone. Birch, you did a brilliant piece. Was it last year around England or, or the year before? Yeah. And the ver- variety of kicking threats in their game, right footers, left footers. It's really hard to defend when you don't know where the, the main kicking threat is coming from. When, when the whole backline, including the wings, kicking on the edge, can can kick. So it just underlines the importance of that skill set. Even a couple of forwards kicking always catches people off guard. And we've seen more of that in the game recently. So, um, yeah, we're in the era of, of good kicking and not just dull kicking, but good attacking kicking that has a positive intent.
2: Who was the first name that sprung to mind, Murray, when you hear that this rule is going to be introduced at test level? The player who you immediately think he's going to exploit that to win in an inch of its life. Well, he's not playing anymore, but Rod should <laughs> dust down the boots. <laughs> like, I mean, how many
0: 50-22s? I, I actually, I think I have a few clips of him kicking 50-22s before they were a thing. He was the master at it, so um I think he might have a comeback on the on the cards. Same question, Birch.
2: Was there anyone from the oh, well, card? Actually, game? I
1: was laughing. I was laughing myself. It was Raj. I think I think Sexton, uh, Jack Carty, um, in terms of the two Irish guys um who will revel in this and just see it as a new challenge to to be able to find that space.
0: I do have a folder of them and, and there's a couple of examples from Hogg recently, George Ford, um, and a couple of scrum halves. You're right, Birch. There's one from, from Hodge as well. So variety across the back line. But someone like Hogg with his his spiral kicking as well, he'll be good at it.
2: Keith Wood would have had a field day with it, to be honest.
0: <laughs> He's kicked a 50-22 as well. I think it's yeah. on my Instagram. Yeah, uh, there's an example in there.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, you're, you're a huge advocate for those clips. I'm sure people can dig them out. Uh, come here, speaking of new challenges then. Noel McNamara. I thought it was striking how many Leinster fans recognized how big a loss this is to them and uh his departure was greeted with like real sadness from what i saw just in comment sections and online and things like that and uh this is a really exciting opportunity for him at the same time murray isn't it i mean We kind of just love to hear Irish coaches going to play their trade abroad and challenge themselves in a completely different environment to that to which they're accustomed. So it doesn't really get much bigger than joining a former Super Rugby franchise who we're going to be seeing a lot more of in this neck of the woods. It'll be
0: really exciting to see how he tries to pick apart the Irish provinces and how his perspective on that is from the outside. And I'm sure the conversations he'll have with guys back here after those games will be fascinating for them as well. really exciting opportunity and and something really different and uh, it'll be brilliant as as a ambitious young coach as he is to add another string to his bow he had that stint in New Zealand for a couple of months has done the 20s obviously all those developmental roles running a schools program as well and a guy who definitely serves as a bit of inspiration to a lot of coaches out there given he didn't have the the big kind of playing background professional playing background but is it a really impressive character anytime I've interviewed him I've been really impressed with his I suppose strength around the actual coaching and teaching and working with people as as much as the tactical and technical stuff. He loves a John Wooden quote and he loves uh, I suppose studying those kind of great coaches um and I suppose he's kind of it's it's a shame that his course is kind of run here in Ireland for now. There wasn't an opening for him in Leinster. There was a bit of chat around Felipe Contepomi going at one stage but he's staying on. So that opening wasn't there and then the other provinces had filled there. they kind of slots that opened up Dan Soper is going to attack coach in Ulster Connacht obviously got their staff in place as well and I mean it 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 does look like he's at that stage of his career where he needs more senior responsibility so so he's got it abroad and and by all accounts it sounds like the RFU have kind of been part of it and hopefully he'll be obviously kept in 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 contact with on a regular basis that if something does open up back here and he's doing well with Sharks he can reintegrate into the system but he's going to learn a huge amount over there
2: Brett, you caught wind of this story pretty early on. What was your kind of immediate reaction to hearing it?
1: Yeah, look, I love seeing um, player, our coaches back themselves and, and and take the opportunity. There's a very small number of performance coach um job opportunities in Ireland. So performance is, is obviously working with the, with the senior provincial teams or the, or the national team. Um, and there's a lot of very good coaches working in the, what I would call as development coaches. So working in the, in the pathways, working in the academies. And I think it's, you know, certainly from my dealings, I'd say, I'd say nearly all of them have, have ambitions to, to try it as a performance coach and, uh, have a, have a, have a shot at it. And, um, uh, it's so hard to get that opportunity in, in Ireland, particularly. Actually, I think it's nearly sometimes harder from within because if you're doing a good job in the in the academy, um, you know, it, from a strategic point of view, it's a bit of a risk to promote you to the performance team um, and and risk you know the, the pathway starting to um, slow down a little bit. So it's it's sometimes you, you need to go away. Um, prove yourself as a performance coach and, you know, have that experience at the top level uh, and and be able to come back with that point of difference. And I, I just wrote down a few names. Like, we're very lucky in terms of Irish coaches abroad. Um, you know, obviously, Felix Jones, uh, The Box, Mark McCall, Saracens, Dick and Kidney, London Irish, Jerry Flaney, Har- Harlequins, uh, Kieran Campbell got to Ealing, Nigel Carlin, Glasgow, Jimmy Duffy will end up abroad, uh, I'm sure, Jonathan Bell, Worcester, Rog, and Dunica Ryan in La Rochelle, Prendy and Racing, Jeremy Davies and James Coughlin and Breve, Noel Mack in, in Sharks and Alan Clark in Seawalls. I'm probably missing a few, but like that's a that's that's nearly as many coaches are coaching professionally here, you know, in in the four provinces uh, in, in terms of numbers and uh I think I think it's great. I think they're they're going to be getting adding value, getting experience uh, which they may bring back or if not they're just living their dream of being a a, a pro coach and Getting to to live in different parts of the world and, and experience different different things and um, yeah I think the added the, the nicety of this one is that the the sharks are going to be back here playing um playing in the URC which is we're not going to lose touch with him um and you know he's it's going to be very measurable in terms of of what he's doing for example if you're coaching defence in Super Rugby you know it, it's it, it's not always ideal as your next step back into being a defense coach in the Northern Hemisphere. So, but I think the fact they're playing in this competition um, would be great for him. And I think, I, I tried to hire him to become with backs coach in Clontarf in about 2010 and I met him in Kylie's and uh, he came in with like folders worth of, I think he'd, every session he'd ever done. He's very, very organized and, um, you know, that's, a, that's probably what everyone says about him uh, is his his organisation ability, his his management, and and now with this role, it's different. Than being an academy manager is different than being head coach of an under twenties. It's given him the chance to just focus on, you know, the minute of attacking backs, and you know uh, you have to go from having a real um, kind of global look to just looking after one area and be measured on on that. So it's going to be a fascinating um, challenge for him. Uh, but yeah, like Durban's a great place to live. Um, and it's a it's a brilliant brilliant opportunity for for him professionally, but I think also from a family point of view to to live in Durban for whatever a couple of years or, or for for longer um, and become a, a global coach, you know, um, which is hard. Um, I think it's 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 class, and I love seeing him do it. To be honest, like I've had a lot of players and coaches who've come to me saying, "Oh, can you help me get this, that, and the other?" Um, and I'm desperate. I'm hungry. I, I want this more than anything. And then they. When the when the opportunity comes up, they don't back themselves or jump, um, and that's very frustrating. And um, I know one player I helped, and uh, he went away recently, and he only lasted three days. He came back, so like that's very frustrating when they're telling you that this is the be on end all, and they do anything to get there. The reality is a lot of people won't, you know, and and all those names that I've mentioned, um, and and it's easier for some when you're going to like you know a big club and and there's going to be a really good infrastructure, but. Some of those guys I mentioned, you know, they went as, uh, in minor roles and they've had to, to dig in and, and make it happen. And, and uh, it wouldn't be easy, you know. There won't be you know, a limousine waiting at the airport for you when you, when you go to clubs as a lot of these clubs as an assistant. Um, you're pretty much fend for yourself. So it's not easy, but yeah, it's great to see people take that opportunity and, and want to, to get better and, and improve themselves.
2: Was there any limousine waiting for you outside Kylie's? i'd say any new fans we've gained through sevens we've just lost in that moment <laughs> sorry uh, nah, joking, joking. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no, we we're, were all good we didn't get eggs thrown at us when we came out no one knew who we were so it was, it was fine
0: mm.
2: birch just on the actual transition i guess from being a coach in this country to moving abroad something you know very well i know you were in france and wales he's going to south africa but you would have you No doubt know plenty of coaches, um, South African coaches, coaches based in South Africa. How much of a change can he expect culturally, not in terms of the two countries, but in terms of rugby environment, in terms of uh, approach to match preparation, coaching, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think it can be difficult. It's, It's obviously not as difficult as France because of the language. But having said that, you know, there's a strong chance that people in his Building will speak Afrikaans uh, in front of them, and you know, so it's not it's not completely um, easy either from a language point of view. Uh, some of their so first language will be Afrikaans, even though the Sharks will be more European than than the the teams on the high belt. Um, there will be players there uh, who speak Afrikaans, you know, having coffees, etc. And English won't be their first language. Um, and sometimes in the office, you know, people will speak Afrikaans. And I certainly, for me, like I went to France without any French, so. You know, I, I was spending going in in the morning at six o'clock in the morning and and coming home at six in the afternoon. And the only time anyone would say anything in English is if it, it directly related to what you needed to do. Um, and so you're sitting there, you're trying to keep busy on your laptop, you're, you're looking at footage, but um, you're completely lost around what the what the next day's content is. To, you know, to a certain extent, bar your little block, and that can be really hard. Uh, but you just need to. Need to understand why you're doing this and work hard on on the the language. For Noel, there's going to be a bit. There's a lot of sorry, yeah. There's quite a few coaches pissed off in South Africa that he's got this gig. Um, So that's that's something to look at. He can't get worried about that, but there will be scrutiny on him because um, a lot of coaches feel that the pathway is blocked as it is um, because of quota uh, restrictions. So for a non-South African to come in, um, you know, there's going to be eyes on that, uh, and and uh, absolutely, I uh, I think the Sharks are are 100% right to find um, the best the the best coach for the job. But I, I do know from my my contacts there, there's you know, and there's always politics and there's always bitchiness, but certainly I've been shook by uh, well, it doesn't happen very often. Very it's very rare. Um, I know Eddie Jones went to the Stormers. Um, there has been a few consultants gone in now, but in general, South African teams are coached by South Africans, so there is probably a little bit of scrutiny on on them there. Um, the Sharks aren't anywhere near as well organised as the Irish in their twenties would have been, or um, or Leinster would be. So that'll be a, a challenge for him as an assistant coach, wanting everything to be really structured, really organised but it's not your job to do it um, and understanding what you're going to be measured by, which is obviously your, your tax success, your, your, your backline success. And that can be frustrating. Um, if you, if you can see things that can be done better and obviously, you know, you'd like to be in an environment where everybody's, everyone's opinion is used and, and they, and it's about making the team better, but sometimes some, some coaches and head coaches or heads of performance you know, they get challenged by that as well. So it's, it's a really much, and you're dealing with people you, you don't know anything about, you know, barred maybe the interview process. So, uh, whereas obviously in Leinster, you know, he will know all the people and the IRFU, he will know all the people he's working with and he'll know their personality types and he know how much he can push, et cetera, et cetera. So that's all, but that's all brilliant. I mean, that's brilliant for, for uh, your development as a person. It's brilliant for your mind, you know, um, facing new challenges. But yeah, it's, it's unbelievably exciting, uh, but it certainly won't be easy. You know, it's certainly not easy going to a group of players who, who, who don't know anything about you and, you know, proving to them that you're you're going to make them better.
0: That's that's fascinating. And the fact that the cultures can be so different and you mentioned trying to catch up on French and, and, and fit in. But obviously you went from that assistant role to, to being the head coach. Like what were the keys to finding the balance between adapting to what's there and staying true to what you kind of believe in?
1: Yeah, I, I made a big mistake. I, I should have kept coaching. I think um, I think I should have taken responsibility for for an area of of, um, of our performance. And um, uh, to use a business jar- uh, term, I was kind of a helicopter view. So um, I was got caught in a lot of stuff that was nothing to do with rugby. Um, and that's that was the big thing for me is that you know your your day becomes about HR it becomes about um, media it becomes about sponsors it becomes about obviously dealing with players issues and that's, that is core part of it so that's not that's not a drag in your time but um, I certainly feel that for me to be uh, I would have been better served uh, now some of it was down to budget not having resource to have somebody do a lot of other stuff but um, to to stay attached to the field and have one area where you're responsible for and have that contact with with the players day to day rather than just being the one leading the review on a Monday um, or leading the, the preview, but not being responsible for the implementation of that, if you, if you get me. Um, so, yeah, but again, I did it the other way as well. So I went, I found it maybe just as hard to go from kind of being a forwards coach in, 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 uh, in, in Tontarf being a, a bit of everything in Michaels um being a head coach all the way through with Kulmine, Newbridge um, and, uh, come on Newbridge and Tullow and then going into just doing like an after the defence and the breakdown my first year um and I have coached those before so um yeah but I think all that stuff is is just something you just need to understand you know you're going to struggle at times and you're going to doubt yourself but uh try and keep referring back to what what your key principles are and the most important thing right now and, and um but yeah, it's head it, coaching is is completely different than being a being a unit coach, particularly now with you know with squads and academies and staff. Like even in the Dragons, with a very small like budget, we had I think sixty eight sixty eight people that um, reported into you. You know, um, and yeah, that that's that's a different, that's a different, that's totally different in coaching. It's nothing to do with coaching at all. That, um, but I think I think that'll be good. For, I think. Being ahead of an academy in, in Ireland is a lot of paperwork and a lot of admin. Um, and Noel hasn't coached uh, directly since obviously the under 20s. So I'm sure he's, he's buzzing to get back. You know what I mean? Uh, he made a name for himself as a, as a coach in Klongos. Like he is a coach, you know, um, who's just very good at management. Um, so I, I think this will be brilliant for him to focus on attack backs without all that other nonsense that can get in the way and just see how good he can be as a, as a, as a specialist coach.
0: Yeah, and as you mentioned, Gav, at the start, it is it is a loss to the Irish rugby system for, for now. It's it's incredible the number of players you'd speak to who'd mention him as a kind of key influence in their careers, and and they are such important roles. Like having really high quality personnel underneath the limelight is is almost as important as the guy who's in charge at the top and getting all the headlines because they're so key in the development of the players at such a crucial po- point in their career. So that'll be a big appointment for Leinster obviously but I always find it fascinating when people come back in with different experiences even you look at uh, Ian Costello's coming into Munster after being in England you listen to Ron O'Gara speaking about what he's learned obviously in very elite environments in, in Crusaders has had a massive impact on how he is as, as a coach and, and the kind of experiences you would have known in, in France as well Bernard so it definitely adds something when people go away in any aspect of life really um, and all the more so in coaching where cultures and, and norms can be different because we do loads of good stuff in Ireland but we have a very kind of structured way of doing things and and it can be eye-opening seeing um, a different uh, method.
2: Just to bring you back to something you were saying earlier Bernard about how you could join a new setup and expect it to be as organized as previous setups or or rather you'd want it to be and it's maybe a bit of a shock to the system to see how it isn't. Was that a Big challenge for you, maybe even the biggest challenge outside of a language barrier in France. The the uh, France, the I guess the the sense that you knew what kind of good looked like, or you knew what a club, um, how a club should operate. You go over there in a kind of a say a smaller role in the grand scheme of things and can't change things yourself overnight. You can probably see a lot of things that the club is actually doing wrong, but that you can't really affect. You can only sort of operate within. Your role for the time being,
1: yeah, absolutely. And the worst thing you can do is come in and go, "That's crap, that's crap, that's crap." Uh, that's not how we do things, uh, because they, they, that's that's what they know and that's what they believe in, and 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 that does that has worked traditionally um, for them in, in in that in that rugby environment. Um, I think what you need to do is is just keep your head down and focus on doing a good job of what you're responsible for. Um, build trust, build confidence, and then slowly at the right time, um, you know, add your opinion, but not in a in a condescending way. Um, and uh, as a as an alternative point of view and, and a, a discussion point. Um, and that's, but yeah, you got to be able to deal with that. I think, like I've seen so many foreigners go to France in particular, uh, other, yeah, go to Japan as well. Um, and they go in with, a, you know, blinkers on. And, you know, it generally doesn't need to, to success. I think you need to find a balance and a mix of of what's really important in, in that culture um, to, to, to that nationality or, or to that group. And obviously the the things that you feel can, can really move the dial in terms of performance. But the ones that are only going to make a marginal effect on the performance or, you know, you're not sure, well, give up on those, you know, give up on those. Don't try and change everything. I mean, we um so i'll give you a simple, stupid example of, like coca-cola right so uh, um like coca-cola is a big part of or maybe maybe less so now but like even up to four five years ago um for team lunches like they, they they wanted coca-cola like whatever right and um again like it doesn't make any sense it doesn't make any sense nutritionally but like if diet coke came out or sparkling water they'd be banging the tables, you know, until, until they got the Coke, whatever. And like, obviously my initial instinct is, no, that's nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, don't like, it's not good for you. It's full of sugar. Um, it's not going to have any effect performance wise, but like the doctor, who the doctor over there, the G, the doctor of the club is like the guru. I mean, they, they have more say than the, than the head coach, but like he was telling me, you know, I had a couple of discussions with him and uh, he was saying, no, oh, no, from a, for the tet, for the for for the mind point of view, <laughs> for the mind point of view, this was giving them the boost they need and rubbing so hard, and eventually you just back off. You back off because, like, okay, I know it is it is a, it is a, a marginal gain as such, but is it really that important? You know what I mean? Would you not be better off getting them to do a little bit more homework at night um, and study the opposition or to be more detailed in their in their one-on-ones like there's there's battles you need to fight and uh I, I i considered absolutely fighting that and uh eventually i saw sense you know eventually i saw sense and but so that, like there's an example of just something that in it wouldn't happen in 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 the anglo-saxon or or the or, or the all blacks or whatever but uh over there it's it's very much part of it and um just go with it let it roll you know Skiing. Skiing's, another one. Sorry. S- skiing's another one, sorry, Murray. Like, our lads used to go ski on a Wednesday and you'd be basically biting your nails um, hoping you weren't going to get a phone call <laughs> at five o'clock to tell you your star player has just done his crew shit. But we, we were like, that was part of it, you know. You, you'd t- if I had told those lads they couldn't ski, you know, there would have been anarchy. And and it's not the case given giving in all the time, but, um, you know, we knew we weren't near the beach. We knew to recruit players, retain players, being allowed ski was was one of the things we had in our favour. So you have to let it roll, but it, it doesn't make sense. You know, it, there's a reason why everyone's contract in Ireland you're not allowed to do dangerous sports. You know what I mean? Because um, you know it's uh, it's it, it's risky. But some of those things you have to just kind of accept. And, and as I said, it, it's not you don't worry about them, but you just accept it.
2: What about when the shoe's been on the other foot a little bit, Birch? If you've identified a squad that needs a little bit of a lift, have you ever organised any offbeat, uh, I don't know, bungee jumps, helicopter rides, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, no. Look, I think, and actually, I spoke to um, I spoke to a friend of mine who's coaching a team who, who are in the top fourteen next year, and it's going to be difficult for them uh, on Wednesday. And he, we talked about my first year in Grenoble when we got promoted from from Pro D two, and um, uh, over there. Um, Team spirit and team cohesion is is really important because it's a very long season. Particularly if you're down, you know, if you're going to be at the bottom of the table, um, you're going to ship some hidens, and there's a lot of pressure then on those those home games, those games against the uh, uh, concurrent direct the teams you have to beat to stay up. Um, so that you're basically you're playing within a, a league within a league, or maybe a league within three leagues. So you're playing for that fourteen to ten. And so anyone in, that you think is going to be in that, you have to beat them, um, at least at home and possibly away. Um, so there's massive pressure, you know, for those weeks. And, um, yeah, so we would have, in fairness, my, my my old boss, Fabrice Landreau, was very good at this. I mean, at the start of the season, he would map out, you know, 12 or 14 activities that we would do um, during the year. And we would do them regardless. You know, you, you often hear of teams... You know they they lose two games there's an emergency meeting and and they're gone off somewhere um you know on, on, on some kind of excursion to try and regain the team spirit whereas I think you're better off actually saying the start of the year look at we value you know we're going to have fun we're going to enjoy it we want to spend time together and in August we're doing this in September we're doing this in October we're doing this and we did, to be honest, we did a lot of stuff up in, up in um up to because they were sponsor of ours and uh, um yeah so we we Go up there for two or three days, uh, and in in the middle of the season, really, and and the lads had let loose, and and coaches let loose, and it was um it, it was good fun. But we did other stuff like we helped um, pick grapes, you know. So every year we we were part of the harvesting of grapes for wine, and then we had we like the lads, some of the players would would smash the wine with their feet, you know, in those big buckets, and like and then we'd have a lovely lovely meal and wine, like yeah, whatever, like wherever you are in the world, you got to try and tap into into what's what's in that 40 mile radius you know um, but yeah yeah we in uh, yeah, the Dragons we, we had no money for a pre-season tour so uh, we had Kerry, Kerry Jones uh, was, a, was my forwards coach and he had a farm in Usk and all we could get was basically camping on his farm and uh, we started at 4 o'clock bonfire which sure by 7 o'clock it was a dead duck uh, it was disastrous and uh, so the World Cup was on the England, the World Cup was on down to town and and um, we had to... So the lads said, look, at, we're bored out of our minds here whatever. whatever. Uh, Can we go down and watch the World Cup? So we said, okay, right. But we had to trek through a forest. We had to cross over a river. Um, and then we got into Usk and we had a bit of a pub crawl, which is fine. But think about the reverse journey, right? Coming back, crossing through a river, going through oh. a forest. Yeah. Put it this way. We were lucky everyone was found the next morning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that all... That all sounds unbelievable, but just remember, Leinster will soon be able to bring their players to a white water raft white water no. rafting facility in the city centre. So off. we've
2: we've got it all here. Those marquee names from abroad that you were talking about recently that Leinster haven't signed that will be the game changer. You can be sure of it. <laughs> what a, before we move on, Murray? What about yourself? When you were playing down in France, any kind of wacky trips or team bonding exercises? I mean, I, I played for a club that couldn't even afford to put us on a bus, really. To be honest, so
0: <laughs> they just stick us in the bar. Uh, everyone would have their own. 30 pack of fags and that would, this would be the night before a match an away match uh, and get stuck in um, so yeah it wasn't as glamorous as going skiing or anything like that we just got into the, the clubhouse
2: and they just let us uh, have free reign It sounds pretty glamorous in a 1970s France <laughs> kind of way uh, can we, we were talking about Irish coaches settling in abroad and adapting to foreign culture and to be fair it's not as big a leap maybe for Jerry Flannery at Harlequins, but I think it was the defining image of that game, certainly from an Irish point of view, Flannery bouncing up and down in the stands after that remarkable comeback. And we'll chat about that final now, uh, Premiership final, Murray, which is, what, is it Saturday? Is the French one tomorrow? We'll chat about France as well. But Exeter-Quinn's, first and foremost, just great to see Jerry enjoying himself so much, isn't it? Well, I mean, who didn't
0: enjoy that game? It was, well, Bristol in the end obviously didn't. It was a ridiculous game of rugby. Uh, One of the most enjoyable I can remember seeing for several years. Just the nature of Bristol's initial burst. Brilliant attacking rugby. And then the comeback, obviously, just absolutely stunning. It seesawed and went this way and that way into extra time. Just had absolutely everything. Uh, And you can understand the ecstasy of, of Quinns. It's been an unbelievable kind of... Bounce back for them since Paul Guster left the club. They weren't in great nick at that stage and they've really impressed ever since. Their attacking rugby is just really joyful to watch. Nick Evans doing a brilliant job with with their attacking game. And it'll be fascinating to see they go against the established force of Exeter who are so good at grinding opposition out, so good at being really ruthless and clinical when they get into your 22. Um, But Quinns will feel that their attack can can cut any defence. And I'm fascinated to see that kind of match up in styles and as you say there's a there's a great example jerry flannery doing really well as a coach abroad obviously john muldoon and conor mcphillips in bristol were left absolutely devastated from from giving up that really strong position but it is going to be another absorbing final i think and it's hard to look past exeter but
2: you just can't wait to see Quinn's have a real rattle at it just to touch upon those bristol lads and pat lamb at the helm bernard when you do forfeit a lead like that in a game as important as that, do you have to almost just leave the players to it for a while before even addressing it? Or do you come straight back in a Monday and say, here's where we made an absolute aims of it? Like That feels like a really devastating one to me that I wouldn't, as a player, want to even be hearing about a few days later.
1: Yeah, I think that's probably one where you you let the lads go on holidays and um, you start to address it in, in pre-season and just try and Create ways of of stopping that total momentum. Momentum is always going to shift against you in a game, but um, you need to have breaks in place to to try and win it back or or, or, or certainly take from it. I think Quinns is a fascinating um, success story in terms of like you know obviously they won a title under Conor O'Shea, um, but they haven't been successful, uh, and that's why the board went and got Paul Paul Gustard and Paul Gustard. I mean, his his mentality is what worked in in Saracens and England for him. You know, is the is the is the model, and he tried to implement it with a group of players who, in fairness, very strong minded, and uh, you know they didn't get the results, and it was at a stage where he was going to have to move on a lot of players and kind of rebuild again, or 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 the club. You know, he moved on from the club, and you, you often see an emotional. Um, rise you know a couple of weeks for a couple of weeks after a coach um leaves but in fairness to Quinns you have I have to give them massive credit because they have stuck to their they've gone back to the tradition Quinns tradition um which is play and attack which they had under Connor and I've always kind of had um which they'd lost a little bit under Paul uh, which is more around kicking game but they've actually added mental strength and and real resilience which they haven't had over the last five or six years, you know. So, um, if they could go win it now, I think. I think it's look at it's 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 not player run, it's not coach run. It's it's everybody obviously got together, you know, when 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 Gustard left and spoke about the need to react properly to it and get better. And you and you see guys like Marcus Smith and Dombrandt. As the new generation of Queens, and then obviously you know you've um, you know you've still Danny Care and uh, you know as you and uh, and a few of the other kind of guys who are legacy players there who may get to finish their career with with a trophy. Now it's a it's a phenomenal opportunity for them, but I think it's it's brilliant to see them back to where they were at, uh, or sorry, back to their true philosophy, but. That wasn't winning them trophies. They they seem to have added uh, getting them to finals even, they've added a little bit more mental strength. And to come back for 28-nil down is is phenomenal, particularly against a team like Bristol who who can go score again. You know, Bristol have off have been involved in a lot of high-scoring games.
2: Um, but they've come out the right side of most of them. Just watching the end of that game, Murray, and the kind of reserves of energy that Harlequin's found. And I know adrenaline and that old word momentum do contribute to this as well. But my mind immediately wandered back to that week when Jerry Flannery was talking about the Pro 14 being weak and then Ulster absolutely hockeyed them in the Challenge Cup because ultimately Quinn's forfeited that competition for all intents and purposes. So playing a second string experimental kind of team And it paid dividends, or at least it seems to have paid dividends by sacrificing that tournament. You kind of have to, like, it kind of felt distasteful at that time, even though you know, understand completely why they're doing it. But now, in the cold light of day, in a premiership final, kind of against the odds, you have to say it paid off, probably.
0: Mm, They have managed it really well since the the turning point of the season and the change in staff. They've clearly had a goal, and, and as Bernard says, they've had a clear identity... That they followed, that the players have absolutely embraced. The way they played suits all those guys. Like Marcus Smith and Dombrand, they they want to attack. They want to take on defenders. They want to counter attack. They want to use kick return as a chance to score straight away if, if they can. Uh, and they're well coached. I mean, even some of the more fluid, broken up kind of tries, they have sense and a little bit of structure to them where. You know, they're using a couple of lineup plays with multiple options to go front door, back door, and they're making really good decisions. You think of the one where Don Brandt goes straight through the middle, a nice front door pass, whereas most teams probably go out the back there having potentially pre-prescribed it as that. So, yeah, they've kind of given players that responsibility and and that group has thoroughly taken it on and, and it is uh, just riveting to watch.
2: You're leaning towards Exeter prediction-wise, Murray, yeah? Yeah, I am. Same for you, Birch? no i actually think Quinns have mo- have momentum um
1: and i think exeter are a little bit off i know they you know they they got through a hard semi final um but i don't think exeter i think exeter uh, haven't are missing the crowds i know it's going to be 10000 there um more international players this year than before you know it's difficult sometimes to, to back it up and uh, I, I just see little weaknesses in their game they're not as dominant as they were for sure look at it they're, they're right to be favourites but I think Quinns and Twickenham um, with their attacking game
2: uh, can, can, I think Quins can win In France Toulouse and La Rochelle running it back It'd be typical now, Murray, if it was the most free-flowing, spotless game of rugby you'll ever see in the top 14 final. H- how different or similar do you expect this game to be? I guess conditions might be might determine that in fairness, but do you see it as being like pretty much as close as last time? Almost flip of a coin stuff.
0: Yeah, I do see it as very evenly matched. Uh, I wouldn't anticipate it as high an error count as there was last time when there was an unbelievable amount of nervousness you could sense from the game and both teams were uncharacteristically sloppy. Um, I, I would imagine it would be a little bit more refined, a little bit more fluent and cohesive from both teams. Toulouse have had a big big blow. They've lost R- Roman Entomac. He he was KO'd last weekend. A, a big red card, high tackle on him and a nasty one. He, he was out cold before he hit the ground. So they'll have to rejig, obviously, in the back line. I think there's a bit of chat, burning about Ramos potentially playing 10 um and rejigging their back line that way. So so a loss for them, but of course we know their their strength and depth. I'm just fascinated to see what La Rochelle do slightly differently. But, like hopefully keeping 15 men on the pitch for the for the entirety of it will help a huge amount. But again they'll feel they missed chances last time. They'll have scouted to lose that little bit more and a, a coach is clever as clever as Ronan O'Gara and also John O'Gibbs, they'll have picked out hopefully a couple more little opportunities there to, to really put Toulouse under under pressure. So it's thrilling for the for their club. Again, we've spoken about the rise quite a few times, but it's just it's hard to ignore. It's hard not to be impressed by it. They've tied down guys to contracts we saw this week. Skelton's going to stay in another few years and, and Rule and Dylan Lades as well. Key guys are, are staying. They've got Dante coming in this summer as well who'll add another bit of punch in midfield. So they're they're tracking the right direction, but it's a lovely opportunity and a lovely rematch so soon after that, that Champions Cup final. I anticipate
2: a, a real thriller here. How different a prospect are to lose for Raj and John O'Gibbs-Bernard with potentially Thomas Ramos at 10 rather than Interbank?
1: uh It's a lot easier, to be honest. I think Ramos is a, is a good player. He's played a lot of fullback, um, but he wouldn't have that natural... Um, comfort comfort at ten I haven't seen him be uh, look as comfortable as ten as as Intermac I think he'll go back to his kicking game which is which is very strong um but he'll be less of a threat to the line and probably to be honest that's that's probably the way to play against La Rochelle because their defense is so good um you can actually get yourself in trouble trying to overplay against them and you, and you probably are better off um, having a having a really strong kicking strategy so from that point of view you know that might suit their their tactics but in terms of just individualism and an x-factor um and sheer ability uh, you know as, as, a, as a running threat um Ramos you know he's a very good player and he's, he's a French international so I'm not I'm not knocking him but uh it, it, definitely Intermac is
2: just a little bit um uh, more creative I think naturally at 10. For Larry Shelburne sticking with yourself is it about just ironing out some of those blown opportunities from earlier in the game making one of those count build a little bit of scoreboard pressure and and take it from there. Like Because I think the flip side of, of that is if you miss a few opportunities again, <laughs> it, there's probably subconsciously a little bit of a pattern sinks in and you kind of think, Jesus Christ, we're doing it again. So it feels extra important that they kind of convert an early opportunity provided they do create one.
1: Yeah, and if they've struggled against Toulouse um, historically, but I think they'll get massive uh, belief from... Um, from the 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 final where they went down to 14 men and yet you know stayed in the game i think that's that's absolutely massive for them so as a coach John O'Gibbs and and O'Gara i mean in terms of creating that mindset in terms of building confidence and belief this week i think they'll they'll be able to get so much from that final and they'll just stress the the need for for discipline and it's difficult for Toulouse to to back it up again they've started to be hit by some injuries um and yeah you know were struggled were lucky enough to beat Bordeaux to be honest so I, I think I think La Rochelle are showing more form um uh since the the final and uh, I think they'll they'll get a top 14 uh which Roger's second if he can do it with two different clubs um
2: that's pretty pretty special
0: and hopefully Darren Swedenham involved in the in the 23 he's obviously done really well it'd be nice to see the a West Cork man as well winning a medal
2: yeah, West Cork man doing well over France has a nice little bit of circularity to it, doesn't it? After Reggie Song in Bandon. Uh, against Toulouse as well, it'll be nice. Uh, Mariana, scale of 1 to 10, how badly infected are you by Lions fever?
0: Uh, i probably come up to a 7 this week once they named the team early on Tuesday, which was a nice move, I think. Everyone kind of got a little bit excited and you're looking at combinations and you're looking at who might be a test starter in that team. And there are a couple and you may have guys even ruling themselves out in an early stage with, it, with an underperformance. So it goes up a notch. And the fact that they're playing Japan as well adds to the excitement for me. We haven't seen them since, since 2019 at the World Cup where they thrilled most people and broke Irish hearts and Scottish hearts and got all the way to the quarterfinal with some outstanding players. It is going to be really challenging for them getting up to test match speed after such a long break. But if they can even show a hint of what they showed the World Cup, it's going to be exciting, high tempo, really skillful. And with coaches like Tony Brown and, and Jamie Joseph, they'll have hopefully picked out a few cool little starter plays for us to enjoy as well. So it is going to be really exciting. There's a massive Irish element in the team. Obviously, all seven of them are involved, six in the starting team. And it's hard not to be excited about some of that opportunity. Ty at six, is is. Is going to be really interesting. They view him as a back row, according to Warren Gatland, the Aki Henshaw centre pairing, and he's again Gatland's really excited about that. Calling uh, Henshaw a world class midfielder this week, and no one can disagree with that. So there's loads of loads of reason to get excited. They're flying out on Sunday for the tour proper, but this is a nice fixture with what sixteen and a half thousand people in the stadium as well, just to get us
2: started. Bert, same question to you about how excited you are uh, about this Lions tour because we've had conversations. A little bit further out from it when I think all three of us uh, felt a dilution of our of our enthusiasm yeah. for it. I think in fairness, probably because the, the whole thing wasn't really settled yet. We didn't know where it was going to be on. We didn't even know if it would be the right thing for it to take place. Maybe the jury is still out on that one. But are you in the mood now? No. I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm a tree. I'm a tree out of 10.
1: Oh, uh but I will get there, don't worry. I just uh I'm not as I'm a diesel engine. I'm a diesel engine. Murray's a Murray's a petrol. Um, <laughs> no, the only reason the only reason I'm not is because it's like I actually don't really guess I can see the purpose of these pre-tour games. Um but just I, I I'm knee deep in under 20s at the moment uh who are playing Wales on on, on Friday night and Obviously, the Premiership final, the Top Fourteen final, and yeah, I, I will get absolutely on the on the Lions bandwagon. But uh, just you know, I want to I want to be see them on the plane and then having a the full tour squad and playing against the African teams, really. And obviously, you know, there's there's still going to be distractions of under twenties in Ireland playing USA and Japan. But yeah, at the moment, I've I've prioritized the the other competitions that are kind of mid flow or, or wrapping up.
0: Day by day, kind of guy. You're doing a Harlequins
2: <laughs> on it with the Lions tour, are you? Uh, But what what about from Japan's point of view Bernard I'm sure you can appreciate it through their lens you you saw Kataru Matsushima talking earlier in the week about how this is a once in a lifetime game for him and as Murray says we haven't seen any of them at test level since 2019 and this is one for the grandchildren from their point of view isn't it like and I always think back of, like, was it 2005 they played Argentina and Cardiff, Full House, and I do kind of like it from the other side's point of view that the non-traditional or the countries that the Lions don't tour get a shot at them before they make that journey. No, 100%. And and Japan have earned this
1: given uh, through their performance of the last two World Cups. And they've been so unlucky that COVID has... Has stopped that 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 chance to, to play against the big boys more often. So absolutely, look at it. I do appreciate it. it's a huge thing for for them and a huge honor, and they they deserve it. Um, and I am looking forward to seeing them play. I mean, in fairness, I've been watching as as Murray has some of the um, some of the Japanese league, and so they have played um, uh, their domestic players have played uh, much more than say the South Africans have played uh, that we saw play for the Bulls against Benetton. Um, so they they shouldn't be as you know, as cold as the as South Africans were. Um, you know, they've got brilliant coaches. Uh, they play a, an unbelievably attractive um, style of rugby. And I think they can, they'll, you know, they, they'll they definitely ask questions from a from a defensive point of view for Steve Tandy. Um, he's going to get challenged against Japan in a completely different way than he will by the box, you know. but So in some ways, it's actually not ideal preparation at all because um, there's no... There's no team they're going to play, or, or certainly the test matches are going to be completely different in terms of the the game plan that the box are going to throw at us. But yeah, it's it is a it's a fitting reward for Japan given um, given what they've built, and I suppose again it's 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 another chance for them to to show the world, you know, that this this is their team that deserve to be at the top table and playing prestigious uh, fixtures against the, you know the tier one countries.
0: That's why they're so important. Like they're arguably the most important nation in Test rugby at the moment because they've kind of broken that ceiling and they've split up the just the the standard and status quo in World Cups and we so badly needed that. I, I think there the needs to be a huge push to keep them at that top table, give them a fixture against Lions, give them really good tests every single year so that they can keep growing and improving because we need more teams that are capable of getting into quarterfinals of World Cups. We need teams that can knock off Ireland and Scotland in pools and not just that they're going to qualify out of it every single time it, it, it was too predictable for too long so it's massive and their league improving as well that would be fantastic to see so um i totally agree it's a it's a brilliant fixture for them and and speaking to i was on the call you now fairness it was ultra japanese with an interpreter but i was on the call with with him and 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 matsushima and they're just both really excited just to get this opportunity him played the trans-tasman final last weekend where he did the hacker pre-match, he was t- speaking about that. Said it was a, a very cool experience, and then he jumps on the plane and twenty-four hours later he's in Edinburgh, and he said he was pretty tired, but he said this is an opportunity I just couldn't miss. So so he's there and ready to play. Uh, this means a huge amount to them, and yeah, can't wait to see just how how they turn up.
2: What kind of performance do you want to see the lines produce, Murray? Um, that would get Bernard up to like a five or a six. Well, as
0: cohesive as... Po- <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to get them there d- this yeah. week. But uh, <laughs> as cohesive a performance as, as possible. These guys have been in camp for two weeks now, in fairness. The, the Exeter players have, have the the final, but most of the guys who are playing this and starting this week have been there for two weeks. They've bedded in the game plan. They've got a bit of cohesion off the pitch as well. Um, so I don't think it should be completely rusty from them. These are guys who've played high intensity matches in, in the Six Nations. Some of the play- Irish players haven't played for five or six weeks, but they should be fresh and, and, and raring to go. I think their approach will be sli- well, will be different to what they try to do to South Africa, absolutely. Burns mentioned the differences in style and approach there. Japan's line speed isn't as high. Their kicking game is different to, to South Africa's um, less contestable probably. Um, and they play at a higher tempo. So you've got to adapt, and you don't want to give away too much of your strategy for for South Africa as well. Like they'll be working away on that completely in the background. I don't know how much we'll see of that against the J- the Japanese. Obviously, you're gonna to want to test out certain elements of it, but it'll be a, a different strategic approach. One of the most important things is those combinations I mentioned, like Murray and Dan Bigger, that has the look of a test starting halfback combination there and if they start this tour well, then they'll have that momentum onto onto the plane in, in, to South Africa and, and into the tour. Um, and then in the back row, I'm excited to see the guys like Byrne and Conan, who a lot of people probably wouldn't have in their starting test team, just get a chance to to show exactly what they can do and, and impress Scotland and, and bring that kind of momentum they've carried into tour all the way over to South Africa. So there's loads of little bits there. Even Ian Henderson, what a Six Nations he had. He's beside the tour captain in the second row it'd we'll probably be calling the line out so there's responsibility there and first impressions are, are so important bad first impressions can be really telling like th- that history tells us that about the first Lions game of the of the campaign players who underperformed there don't really get a shot it's a, it's a
2: narrow window so you've got to put your hand up I know it's going to be a busy few weeks for yourself Mur. do you want to talk listeners through what's coming up for the 42 members over the course of the Lions tour and Ireland summer
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just just to flag up what we're going to be doing, members at the 40th.ie if you want to join up. But basically we'll have video reviews every kind of Monday with myself and Owen Toolan going through clips of the weekend, Lions, Ireland, under-20s, whatever it may be. Uh, We'll have post-match podcasts after every Lions game on the Saturdays, also the two Wednesday fixtures. We'll have two Rugby Insiders emails a week for members on um, Tuesdays and Fridays.
2: I think that's the editor of Sports Joe just interjecting there
1: sorry (laughs) it's the postman the dreaded
0: postman (laughs) I'm well used to it here Um, and also we'll have a couple of live events we'll be jumping on on a Zoom call with members having a chat with them answering questions doing a couple of analysis bits as well so really getting people involved um, and getting their questions and and they'll drive our coverage so loads going on across the board as Bernard mentions it's not just lines there's Ireland matches which are going to be really interesting under 20s loads of other international rugby as well and yeah, we're going to try and cover it as comprehensively as possible. So um, members up to forty two die.
2: Yeah, looking forward to the couple of live events, especially they've been really good fun to do. As much as it's not quite Liberty Hall Theatre or wherever, just getting people on Zoom and having a chat, the three of us has been really enjoyable. So we'll do that soon. Uh, Bernard, thank you as always. Yeah,
1: thank you. Just quickly, I, I'd urge the listeners to to keep an eye out in the under twenties. I think um, you know they started really well the weekend. Um, some outstanding players. They haven't played a lot of rugby, you know, so they're not probably um, fresh in our minds, or uh, you know, we're not as as familiar with them as we were the previous two generations. Uh, we can't get to see them live, obviously in Cork. But uh, yeah, I think they're shaping up nicely, and, and, and I know a lot of people like to see the, the next. Craig Casey or or John Hodnett or or, or Thomas Ahern. Um And, yeah, uh, they're playing Friday night against against Wales in, in what should be an interesting game. Who caught your eye in particular last day, Birch? Canellan uh, was absolutely outstanding. He has an offload game, which I haven't seen in Irish back row. Uh, at that level have, uh, for a while, very comfortable, very explosive. Uh, Soraka and Shane Jennings. The, the, I know there's a feature in the 42 uh outstanding hurler, a fullback for, for Galway Miners. Um, he only got a bit of good ball in the second half, but uh, he looked he looked quite excited. We know about Osborne. I mean, I, I, for me, it's kind of trying to find, I see guys who I haven't seen play for the provinces really. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. I, I've obviously seen Sorocco play last year, but Canellan uh, and Shane Jennings um, and Call Ford at 12 kind of grew into the game. Uh, very quick, very explosive. So, they were the ones who, who and obviously the, the, the front row, both front rows, the, the starting front row and the and the sub front row were were superb, um, which is great to see.
0: Yeah. What about having a bit of depth at under 20 level? As you say, yeah. uh, Lasisi and Illo were brilliant starting, but Jack Boyle come off the bench in two turnovers within quick succession. It's brilliant to see the, the prop stocks in, in root health.
1: Yeah, and Jack Boyle's a brilliant player. He's underage again next year. Um like he was the guy coming out of the schools that I would have said, yeah, he's going to go make it as a pro, as a prop. Uh, But then obviously, you know, um, there's, there's (laughs) even at twenties level, there's, there's really good depth coming through from, from elsewhere,
2: which is exactly what we want to see. Yeah. There was plenty more twenties chat as well on Monday's members pod, membersthe 42e If you want to sign up there for all of the lion stuff and for extra podcasts around Ireland's test matches this summer. Uh, We look forward to having more people in the famed WhatsApp group as well. More questions. Uh, come here enjoy all of the rugby over the weekend it seems a bit overwhelming there for Bert He's at a three with the Lions stuff but there are some really high calibre games so have a good one and uh, we will catch you on Monday with Murray and Owen and on Thursday with the three of us back here in this regular slot until then mind yourselves take it easy
0: I don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year I wouldn't
2: go (laughs) Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Then reverse the first pass.